For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems things like hard starts rough performance and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup sea foam can help your engine run better and last longer simply pour a can in your gas tank hunters and anglers rely on sea foam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. From Mediator's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to SteelDealers.com. Now... Here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. The Guinness Book of World Records reported last week that the oldest dog ever recorded has died at the ripe old age of 31 years, 165 days. For those counting, that's over 217 in dog years. The dog's name was Bobby. He was born May 11, 1992, which makes him older than some of the folks who work here at Meat Eater. Bobby was either a purebred Rafero de Alantejo, which I'm sure I pronounced correctly, a breed of Portuguese dog trained to guard livestock, or a mutt. Reports vary, but my money's on the mutt. He lived on a farm in Portugal, and his owner credits his longevity to a peaceful household and a diet of mostly people food. That's a nice feel-good story, but there's a reason you're listening to this podcast and not watching Good Morning America. So here's nature for you. Balance things out. Perfectly balanced, as all things should be. A few days before Bobby's death, another dog met an unfortunate end after he was working for a living, unlike Bobby, and for his efforts, he was attacked by a shark off the coast of Nova Scotia. This dog, a Chesapeake Bay retriever named Pepper, was duck hunting with his owner near Medway Head. The hunter had shot a duck, and Pepper jumped off the boat to retrieve it from the calm water. The shark erupted from below, lifted the dog into the air, and pushed her under. The shark was likely a juvenile great white, which feed on seals in this area this time of year. The shark realized that it hadn't caught a seal and let the dog go. Unfortunately, it was not a uh, catch and release situation. Pepper made it back to the boat, but died of her injuries. The hunter who declined to be named said this is the first time he's ever heard of a dog being attacked by a shark while hunting from a boat. But Art Gaten of Atlantic Shark Expeditions told the Post that this happens frequently with deer. So not dogs, but deer. Sharks will mistake a deer for a seal, attack it, then spit it out. 
Condolences to the families of both Pepper and Bobby. We don't hide our love for dogs on this podcast, and I know how tough it can be to lose one of our furry friends. This week, we've got the crime desk legislation in the mailbag, but first I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week, uh, you know, we just got lots happening. Just got back from Idaho, where, as you know from last week, I was hunting the greater sage-grouse with members of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers Armed Forces Initiative, which, uh, again, throwing back and to clear things up, the Armed Forces Initiative uh, is comprised of active duty and retired military. They engage with active duty and retired military on hunting and angling pursuits. They help them connect with the outdoors, both on and off base. Uh, It's a great way to learn how to effectively advocate for the continuation, even proliferation of hunting and angling if you are a uh, service member or a former service member. It can be extremely difficult to navigate the licenses, regulations, seasons of your home state when you're deployed for months at a time. Combine that lifestyle uh, with moving from base to base and the hunting and fishing passion can get put aside, which is why AFI has dedicated folks who can help with the logistics on and off base. Anyway, I teamed up with those folks in Idaho through my buddy Ed Anderson, who's the artist, he's an outfitter, he's a big idea guy. And one of his big ideas is the Elk Camino, which is a physical and metaphorical vehicle to get veterans engaged in the outdoors. You'll have to look this thing up. It's a really cool El Camino super sport jacked up on big tires. It sounds amazing. And it's really fun just to look at, but more fun to drive. This year, you'll be able to see a short series of adventures featuring the El Camino. There's going to be uh, changing hosts and veterans hitting the road for fish, birds, and elk. Uh, No big surprise here, but uh, on our last trip, Snort racked up two of the three sage-grouse flushes we had in two days. This particular hunt made me super happy that I did not train that girl repeatedly on planted birds because the desert was not plentiful. Lots of miles with no birds and no bird scent, but we did have some great stories and incredible food. Halibut ceviche, salmon burgers, provided by Mandy Carlstrom. Bobcat carnitas, provided by the bumper of a truck. We even got a good general sage-grouse lesson by one of IDFG's finest, who also threw in the story of his bicep being munched on by a sow grizzly. If you think you're tough, this guy drew a great Alaska moose tag in heavy grizzly country and went. That's after his bear attack. His arm was still in a sling. He's an absolute dream. He pointed out that Steve and I have never had a bear attack, just bear encounters. He's got the scars to prove it. Uh, He wasn't sure where old Dirt Myth's grizzly bear writing puts him. Somewhere in between, I suppose. I love the outdoor time, but I'd be lying if I said the people I meet along the way didn't provide a lot of highlights too. So look out for that Elk Camino series. Another thing to look out for on the Meat Eater YouTube channel would be uh, the latest episode of Cal in the Field. The Pheasantomics episode is finally out. A little late for the start of pheasant season but still plenty of pheasant season to come. I got some sad stories on our season, how it's going here in Montana, but I'll save that for next week. Anyway, Pheasantomics, Aberdeen, South Dakota, a super cool episode. It's up on the Meat Eater YouTube channel right now. So please go check that out. Uh, Let us know how we did. Super fun, super cool. And that's all I got for you on this one. So let's get on with the news. Jumping over to the crime desk. Chase Kaminsky is in legal trouble once again. If that name is tickling the back of your brain, here's a quick recap. Kaminsky was not a famous hockey player. 
He was one of the two anglers who earned international condemnation after cheating at a walleye fishing tournament earlier this year. As far as I'm aware, that was the only time a walleye fishing tournament has ever earned international anything. Anyway, local Pennsylvania media reported recently that Kaminsky has been charged with four crimes related to alleged deer poaching that took place between 2013 and 2022. Prosecutors say the man unlawfully killed at least five whitetail bucks after dark in Mercer County with a crossbow or firearm. Three of the five antler deer mounts discovered at his home were illegally tagged with another person's name. Now, you know, innocent until proven guilty. Unfortunately, Kaminsky doesn't have a great track record. Uh, It is not illegal to have somebody else's buck on your wall. I got a great one hanging in a buddy's hunting cabin. But, you know... We'll, uh, we'll keep you up to date on this one. It's probably not looking good for Kaminsky. Jumping up north to our friends in Canada, park wardens at Jasper National Park are looking for information about a suspected poaching incident after two decapitated bighorn sheep were found earlier this month. Wardens closed the area until further notice and launched an investigation. They're specifically asking for the public's help in providing dash cam footage from the area. If you were in Jasper Lake, Edna's Knoll, or Talbot Lake on October 16 or 17, call the Jasper National Park Dispatch at 780-852-6155. Bighorn sheep tags are tough enough to get without poachers stealing those opportunities from the rest of us. Uh, yeah, these are park sheep, but here's the deal. These sons of guns didn't take the meat. Like, special room in hell reserved for these people. That's ridiculous, man. That is a lot of good eating. Just because you're a poacher doesn't mean you need to be a waster, right? Moving on to San Fran. The San Francisco Chronicle reported last week that Dungeness crab poachers in the Bay Area are using Uber cars as their getaway vehicles, which is just about the most Bay Area way I can imagine to flee the scene of a crime. You've arrived at your destination. Over the past few months, state wildlife officials have cited hundreds of people on the rural San Mateo County coast for taking crabs illegally. These folks call an Uber to access secluded crab fishing spots after nightfall and then reverse the process to bring home their catch. Though more expensive than driving their own cars, poachers like taking ride-hailing services because they don't have to find a place to park, they just have the driver drop them off on the side of the road, and they call a new vehicle when they want to go home. Though Uber drivers and passengers are sometimes the victims of crimes, I haven't been able to find any other instances of criminals using Uber as a getaway car. Points for creativity. We should do some more research here to see how the driver's ratings and additional tips correlated in to the use of Ubers as a getaway car. Speaking of uh, getting creative with crime, federal prosecutors charged four people last week for stealing thousands of pounds of dinosaur bones and fossils from public land in Utah. Vint and Donna Wade purchased illegally obtained fossils, which they then sold at gem shows or to the other two defendants, Jordan Willing and his father Steve Willing. The Willings then used their company to ship the fossils to China. Paleontologists lamented that many of these specimens lost all scientific value as they were made into carved figurines, knives, jewelry, and other consumer products. The conspiracy lasted from 2018 to the present day, during which time the Wades sold over $1 million in paleontological material to the Willings. Tens of thousands of pounds of fossils were stolen, including a single 17,000-pound shipment that federal agents seized last year. It is legal in Utah to sell fossils found on private land, but not on state or federal land 
because that belongs to all of us. The Wades and the Willings are facing a variety of charges, including conspiracy against the United States, theft of property of the United States, and money laundering. If convicted of all charges, they face decades in prison and hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines, which means they, uh, you know, waded in a little deep. We'll see if they're willing to make a plea deal or they uh, got in over their waiters. The Wades got in over their waiters and they weren't willing to fess up. There's all sorts of ways this could go if we had more time. Think about that one. A Florida man who was caught last year beating a lemon shark to death with a hammer has been sentenced to 12 months of probation and a $336 fine. 34-year-old Brian Waddle made a minor splash last December when security footage leaked that showed him using a hammer to hit a lemon shark and rip out its gills. I think we've all been in the unfortunate position of dispatching an injured fish, but that doesn't appear to be what happened in this case. Florida wildlife officials charged him with possession of a prohibited species and failure to release it without unnecessary harm. Lemon sharks are one of the 28 protected species of sharks in Florida, and anglers are supposed to release them immediately. In addition to the fine, he will face restrictions on his fishing activities, make a $250 donation to the Brevard Zoo, and complete the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation's shore-based shark fishing course. Another angler is in trouble for beating something with a blunt object, but this individual is being charged with attempted murder. Thanks to listener Gordon Cole for sending us this story. 21-year-old Caleb Maniscalchi was fishing the Clyde River in Newport, New Hampshire, when his line got tangled with someone else's. This is always frustrating, but it sounds like old Caleb had more on his mind than catching fish. Police say Caleb knew the other angler, but instead of untangling his line or cutting it, he started a fight. One thing led to another, and police say Caleb used a rock to hit the victim in the head and then held them underwater until bystanders intervened. Caleb called 911 in an apparent moment of regret, but fled the scene before police arrived. He was picked up later during a traffic stop and faces up to life in prison for second-degree attempted murder. I mean, it's just fishing. We'll round out this week's crime desk in New England, where a Vermont poacher was just ordered to forfeit his vehicle and firearm after shooting a fake deer at night. To catch poachers who spotlight deer, game wardens sometimes set up deer decoys in areas they believe poachers are operating. 43-year-old Shane Phillips fell for this ploy in October of 2020. Wardens observed him stop his vehicle, shine a light on the decoys, and shoot one with a crossbow. Phillips fled the scene when confronted by wardens, but they kept up their investigation. Along with forfeiting his gun and vehicle, Phillips must pay $2,877 in fines and will lose his privileges to hunt, fish, and trap for three years. Which of you listening right now took a class in school about Family Finances 101? No one? Yeah, me neither. Just like the importance of a will or college savings plan or even life insurance or estate planning, we have to know these things. But how do we figure it all out? That's why I'm excited to partner with Fabric by Gerber Life. Listen, one of the few things expected of you in life is to not let other people pick up after you. That's why I have life insurance, to make sure my stuff is taken care of even when I'm gone. 
Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You could be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash cal. That's meetfabric.com slash cal. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash cal. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without on X. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Moving on to the legislative desk. A bill introduced in Michigan earlier this month would allow commercial fishermen to harvest and sell sport fish species from the Great Lakes. These include lake trout, smallmouth panfish, walleye perch, and other kinds of fish that have historically been banned from commercial harvest. As you can imagine, recreational anglers in the Mitten State are none too happy. Justin Tomei of the Michigan United Conservation Club called this bill, quote, a five-alarm fire, short of an outright ban on fishing, This piece of legislation is as bad as it gets, he said. This bill was introduced by Michigan State Rep. Jason Morgan. Morgan explains in a press release that he wrote this legislation after his father sold the family's commercial fishing business a few years ago. He says the commercial fishery on the Great Lakes is in, quote, serious trouble and that the fishery needs to be expanded for it to survive. We need not only to protect the ecosystem of our Great Lakes, but also repeal the harmful regulations that have negatively impacted the fishing industry. Commercial fishermen have historically relied heavily on Lake Whitefish, but that population has declined in recent years. They say that if they are excluded from catching other species such as perch and walleye, they will become a one-fish fishery. The Fishtown Preservation Society is one of the advocacy groups pushing for this bill. Amanda Holmes, the society's executive director, says that the fisheries can be managed to accommodate both commercial and recreational catch to provide, quote, an incredible and readily available local food source. The 57-page bill outlines exactly how these harvests will be managed. For example, it calls for 25% of lake trout, walleye, and perch to be set aside for commercial fishermen 
while the remaining 75% will be for recreational anglers. The annual commercial harvest will be divided among the commercial operations, and they will not be allowed to fish beyond those quotas. They will also be required to adhere to slot limits. Walleye measuring less than 15.5 inches may not be sold anywhere in the state. Same with black crappie measuring less than 7 inches, and perch measuring less than 8.5 inches in the round. None of these assurances of science-based management have been enough to satisfy recreational anglers, and understandably so. The Michigan United Conservation Club points out that these sport fish species are planted, reared, and or managed using recreational angler money through fishing license sales and the Dingle Johnson Sport Fishing Act. It isn't fair, they say, for commercial outfits to benefit from a system they didn't invest in. Recreational anglers also note that their industry is far larger than the commercial industry. The MUCC claims that recreational fishing in Michigan supports more than 171,000 jobs, while the Fishtown Preservation Society says that there are only a handful of state licensed commercial fishermen in the state. While there were 339 licenses issued 100 years ago, there are only 41 active licenses today. The bill number is HB 5108. It's being co-sponsored by 30 additional representatives, and it's currently under consideration in the Natural Resources, Environment, Tourism, and Outdoor Recreation Committee. If you live in Michigan and want to get involved, get in touch with your representative. We'll post a link at themeateater.com forward slash cal. Texans will have an opportunity next year to secure a big win for hunters and anglers by amending their constitution. Prop 14 will institute a $1 billion fund that Texas Parks and Wildlife can use to purchase and develop new state parks. This will be the first fund dedicated to expanding public land in the Lone Star State, and it won't impose any new tax on state residents to do so. I've been reliably informed by real-life Texans that this amendment is a great idea. State parks offer rare public land opportunities to hunt, fish, hike, and camp, but the state needs more to accommodate its growing population. Big thanks to listener Brian McMurray for sending that one in. Floridians, as in you Florida folks, will also have a chance next year to enshrine a right to hunt and fish in the Florida Constitution. The resolution to put the amendment on the ballot passed the legislature by large margins, and it requires 60% of Florida voters to vote yes on next year's ballot. Here in Montana, the Fish, Wildlife, and Parks Department is seeking public comment on a new wolf management plan. One major change from the previous plan is that instead of documenting the total wolf population and the number of breeding pairs, the new management system will only track the total population. The original federal requirement is that the state maintain a population of at least 150 wolves and 15 breeding pairs. But the current population has grown well beyond that, with an average of 194 packs and 1,165 wolves. To stay within those original guidelines, the state will maintain a population of at least 450 wolves, which biologists are confident equal at least 15 breeding pairs. The state is not convening a citizens' advisory group, which means public comment is more important than ever. The deadline to comment is December 19 at 5 p.m., and we'll post a link at themeateater.com forward slash cal. Speaking of wolves, I have a quick update from Colorado. You may have heard that Colorado Parks and Wildlife was having trouble convincing other states to send them wolves. Well, earlier this month, Oregon saved the day and agreed to send 10 wolves from the northeast corner of the state. Colorado taxpayers will foot the bill for this operation, and Colorado biologists will be responsible for handling logistics. 
The problem is, this is only a one-year agreement. Colorado's wolf reintroduction plan calls for five to ten wolves every year for the next three to six years, so the Centennial State may find itself in this same situation next year. Check out the article by Eli Fournier at TheMeatEater.com. Finally, I have great news to report out of Pennsylvania. As we covered in a previous episode, the Pennsylvania Senate passed a bill that would have diverted money from the game fund and jeopardized federal dollars from Pittman-Robertson. Fortunately, I've been told by Don Rank, the chairman of the Pennsylvania BHA, that the state house amended the bill to remove that language. Unless the Senate decides to amend the bill again, PA's game fund is safe. Thanks to everyone who called or emailed their state representatives and to Pennsylvania BHA for putting boots on the ground in the Capitol. Moving on to the mail desk. Listener Matthew Cooper wrote in with what you might call a report from the field. Matthew says he heard me recommend that feral cats be fitted with brightly colored collars and bells. I still think that's a good idea, but it should be implemented by properly trained wildlife professionals. I should have made that clear, and it sounds like Matthew found out the hard way. Quote, I can confirm this is a bad idea. Even with chainsaw chaps, a heavy Carhartt jacket, welding gloves, and safety goggles on, I was nowhere near protected enough to wrangle a wild cat. Unless one is looking to contract toxoplasmosis or something else, I would not suggest anyone try something like this. Just thought I would share my experience. Matt, you're a true hero. The small mammals and the songbirds, thank you. But you're right. It's not a good idea to wrangle a feral cat with welding gloves. Thanks for writing in. Sticking with the mail desk, I also just wanted to say thank you so much to everyone who wrote in Uh, about the interview with Washington State Wildlife Commissioner John Lemkuhl. Several of you would have liked to see me go after John a little harder. Listener John Dyke said, quote, I feel that this episode missed the mark. It's a lot of fluff with very little substance. Wish it was more hard-hitting. It made it seem like everything was okay. I wish you would have asked him why our WDFW staff biologists have presented multiple times and the commission ignores them and goes the opposite way, end quote. Listener Keith Bryant says, I missed an opportunity to press Commissioner Lemkuhl on his distinction between recreational and management hunting. Keith points out that the distinction is dangerous because it can be used to discredit any hunt that doesn't have a specific management objective. That's a good point, but it's not something I made explicit in the interview. Keith goes on to say, I know you need to play nice with your guests, but if this guy is a centrist, as he claims, then recreational hunting in Washington will be gone in 10 years. Let me fire back at you here. Thank you so much for writing in. Continue to do so. I definitely don't have to play nice with anybody, but I'm a nice person and I'm going to hear people out and give them the opportunity to uh, respond to fair questions, right? A lot of the pre-questions that we solicited and went through were just not things that you could really ask anybody if you uh, expected to defend your own stance. They were circumstantial, unfortunately. So I don't think Commissioner Lemkuhl is looking to ban hunting. I'm also not sure he understands the larger implications of limiting the voice of hunters and giving anti-hunters a seat at the table. As I pointed out to him, it doesn't make much sense for anti-hunters to have any kind of influence over a game commission. They're just against hunting. They aren't for conservation or stewardship or responsible resource management. They just really have a burr under their saddle about one thing. Very narrow focus. 
the objective here from the uh, Cal's Week in Review standpoint is everybody's got to be engaged. Pay attention to this stuff. You didn't like it? Show up in the commission meeting and ask questions. Uh, I know a ton of you did. I got a lot of reports after the uh, last commission meeting. I had a lot of friends in the room who uh, let me know that the hunter turnout was was serious and um, thought everybody was really well-spoken. So that is awesome. And guess what? Once is not enough. You got to keep it up. Uh, and this stuff happens all the time. So aside from just writing in here, the other thing that is highly underutilized, including by myself in the hunting public, is you got to write op-eds. Well-written perspective on, uh, you know, the inflammatory terms of like trophy, predator hunting, all of those things. Well-written, supplied to your local papers. They're going to reach an audience that uh, is not me, who is a hunter and very much on your side. I just ate Bobcat, for gosh sakes. It's good stuff. I always take uh, donations of mountain lions. And uh, speaking of which, Riley Kirkpatrick, you got hounds, man. We got to go lion hunting. That's good white meat in the freezer. Kind of rambling on here. Anyway, op-eds, that is a great way to reach beyond the choir. And that's really what we need to do. This is an old thing. We called it venison diplomacy, trailhead diplomacy, a bunch of different things. But just screaming at the game commission is not going to do it. You got to start talking to all your state representatives. You got to start writing op-eds. You got to find ways to get in front of that big chunk of the population that is neither really for or against hunting and just explain to them why you hunt, why you do what you do, why you are the crazy person on your block that gets up at 3 a.m. and hauls a bunch of battered decoys out into your truck and drives off into the night. Things like that matter. Talking amongst ourselves is is good for common ground reasons, but uh, we got to get out in front of the people that we don't connect with all the time because they hunt and fish, right? So get out there, do your thing. Be respectful and uh, get those conversations going, rather. All right, rambled on long enough. Thanks for writing in. A-S-K-C-A-L. Ask Cal at TheMeatEater.com. And uh, let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. On top of that, if you're in the market for a clean and quiet battery-operated chainsaw, or if you really want to do something pro with a self-tuning, computer-chipped, fire-breathing, gas-powered chainsaw from steel, go to www.steeldealers.com and find a local knowledgeable steel dealer near you. They're going to get you set up with what you need, and they won't try to send you home with what you don't. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance Axis deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems 
Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and burnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more.